Hello, friends. Welcome back to a stillness. I am in a really lovely, buzzy, still moment right now. I am sitting in the big armchair in my living room, sipping a cup of sweetened and creamed black tea. Such a treat. Um, my dog is chewing his bone at my feet. You might catch some of those funny sounds in the background. It is a weekend. It is nearing spring weather here in central Illinois. And I'm just personally feeling really centered, really excited about today's episode. Um, haven't recorded in a while, not because of a lack of inspiration or topics. I've been a little bit bogged down, I think, in some ways, because there's so much that I want to talk about, so many different topics that I just feel are so prevalent and needed right now. And... I've realized today, had one of those like light bulb moments that perhaps part of why I've been hesitating to talk about some of these other topics is because there's a foundation, like a really fundamental assumption that I'm operating from. And that is a practice of radical self-love and I think you can hear it in some of the other episodes you can hear this love I have for me and my body and my interests and this intention and compassion that I pour in to my being and how I take care of myself and how I share those processes. Um, but I also know, I know that it can feel gimmicky, that it can feel put on or too good to be true or hmm, perhaps even saddest, like impossible. As though it's, it's actually impossible to just be a person who loves themselves radically all the time. And I find, I find that for me, that is not entirely true. Like even when I'm frustrated with myself, it's like that frustration is coming from a loving place. I get frustrated with my habits because they are not actually loving or actually fulfilling. I get frustrated with my routines because they're actually not supportive. And of course, I didn't just wake up here one day. I didn't just wake up and go, oh, actually I love myself. (laughs) It's been a long process. 
it continues to be a process, but it actually, it is true. I authentically adore myself. And it's so countercultural, and I honest to goodness forget just how quote unquote radical and liberating self-love is. Um, and I think it is easy to assume perhaps listening to these episodes, both the ones that are recorded and the ones that will come in the future, it can be easy to assume that I like only record on good days (laughs) or that um, I love myself and therefore I must be this terribly annoying, egotistical person to be around. And... Or maybe, maybe you don't think those things. Maybe those are just assumptions coming from my own perspective. But I wanted to have a really honest conversation about that. And I think one of the things that has to be said, especially in this audio format up front, is that I have in my body, in my being, in my family tree even, a lot of elements that are considered desirable. And so I have not experienced entirely the same messaging of worth and value as someone who's in a larger body has, as somebody who's in a black body has, I am very slim, I'm very petite, I am very able-bodied, I am very white, I would not describe myself as very wealthy, I am not um, the 1% nationally, if you will, but like many middle-class people in the U.S., I am in the 1% globally, for sure. I live comfortably, both financially and within the stability of my marriage, um, as well as all the other supports that come with those things. So because I am slim and able-bodied, and unfortunately also because I am white, I am treated fairly respectably by my doctors. Just as one example, Um, because I am slim, because I am petite, because I am white, because I'm able-bodied, I am treated with respect when I ask for it in a lot of spaces. And I know that there's an enormous amount of privilege that is tied to those things. I also received a lot of narratives about my desirability that are the same Unfortunately, no matter perhaps some of these specific privileges, specific um, elements of how I walk through the world, um, I was very much raised 
to understand that my value and my place and even my security in life would depend on how desirable I was to men, um, specifically men in power, men with money, men with influence, a man who would one day marry me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, received so many messages about, I mean, everything, everything from the length and color of my hair to how I age or basically refuse to age, um, how I present myself, which is both like, again, makeup and hair and whether or not my eyebrows are tweezed, and, but also the clothes that I wear and how I carry myself. I mean, even <laughs> I, was, I was warned at different points in my teen years that I was too confident. You know, I was going to intimidate a lot of men and that that was seen as a bad thing, um, not as a desirable trait. I carry the heaviness of being born female and growing up in a society where that innately makes you a second-class citizen, where that means that you cannot be as close to God, you cannot do the same holy work as men. Um, And as a person who from a very young age felt deeply spiritually connected to the universe, I think that was a particularly harmful message for me. Um, Yeah, that's a little bit of background as we begin to talk about radical self-love and why I think some of us are so scared of it. I did, of course, have different epiphany moments in my own life, in my own story. Um, I remember making the very conscious decision. I think I was 19 or 20, and I made a very conscious decision that I just wasn't going to hate myself anymore. That clearly that hadn't worked, and it took so much energy, like so much inner dialogue to berate myself constantly. And I did kind of have a moment where I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. But I like to say that I moved from a place of self-hatred into a place of self-neutrality. Like I was no longer constantly berating myself, but I certainly didn't radically love myself either. It would take several more years It would take other privileges and resources in my life, like good therapists and a really incredibly communicative and healthy relationship with my now husband. And it also took, I I think as it does just for so many people, kind of a coming into my own. You know, if I'm not going to hate all these little things about me anymore, then I kind of get to decide if there's any that I do like. You know, if I'm not going to hate the fact that I'm loud, outspoken, that my joy is something boisterous, uh, then I kind of have the opportunity to go, oh, was I just reacting 
with that kind of boisterous joy because it felt so crazy to just truly be joyful about something? Or are there other ways that joy can show up in my life? Are there other ways I can express my like or dislike of things? And while we're at it, what do I like? And what do I dislike and why? And have I been holding on to some of these things like labels, like they'll solve me? And what happens if I exist in a place where I no longer need to be solved? And it's those kinds of questions that have led me to where I'm at today. Now, let me be clear, I'm still young. (laughs) I kind of hope that like in another 20 years, I couldn't listen back to this episode and be like, oh, hun, like you were on your way, but just wait, just wait. There's even more. Um, so let me be clear, this is a snapshot. This episode is just a snapshot in time. But at this time, I operate from a belief that I am inherently divine. I operate from a belief that I am perfect. And we'll circle back to that because that one still sometimes feels a little uncomfortable. Again, feels a little bit egotistical, but I don't mean it in those ways. So we'll circle back. We'll clarify the perfection bit in a little bit. Um, But I also very much am learning to operate from a place where I do not exist to be solved. I just exist, and I exist to be loved, and I exist to be known, and I exist to know and love others. And so in that sense, really, really perhaps what the most bottom of all of the lines and in between all of the lines, perhaps what's really there is I'm operating from a place of enoughness. Like who I am today is enough. And what I know today, it is enough. And I will know more, again, hopefully, like in 20 years. And it will be enough. And it doesn't mean that I'm wrong now. It might just mean that I'm a little more narrow-minded than I might be in 20 years. And 10 years previous, I was much more narrow-minded. And the more that my world expands, the more places inside of me I find where love could seep in. And it's like there's all these beautiful cracks and fissures and veins. And I don't really know how far they go or how wide those cracks can open. But from what I can see, what I do know of at this time, I'm filling with love. Loving oneself is so countercultural. And it's really tragic to me because self-love has really become the catalyst, both like the quiet, healing, sacred temple of, of my own being and my own growth. But it's also been like this riotous revelation 
and this incredible space of liberation that, like the great Adrienne Marie Brown, amongst others, I really believe um, that none of us are free until all of us are free to ourselves, if that makes any sense. And this is kind of where the perfection bit comes in. I am not perfect, as in, I never make mistakes. I am not perfect, as in, I have only ever done or said kind and nice things. I am perfect because I am a being filled with forgiveness. I am perfect because I am growing and because I am resting. I am perfect because I am capable of reaching out and capable of dropping in. I can like both sink in to my own being, my own self, my own struggles. And I have this capacity to expand outward, to hold space for others' struggles and growth and healing. And that's what I mean by perfect. And I know that you might be listening and think like, okay, Abby, that's like actually not the definition of perfect at all. Perfect means pure. Perfect means has no flaws. But, but this, this is what I mean. Like in this single breath, in this single snapshot of time, I am perfection. Because flaws are the fissures that don't get filled with love. Like, I truly believe I have no flaws. Like, uh, I don't know how else to say this. Again, it just sounds so perhaps radical, but there's nothing wrong with me. I, I'm just me. And what I think is wrong, or even when I behave in ways that are, you know, are wrong, are, are rude, are unkind, are reactive. It, that's not where I exist always. That is also just a snapshot in time. And maybe at those particular snapshots, my rage was perfection. My reaction was perfect not because it came from this incredible self-aware place, but because it enabled me to express what was so deeply impactful. I wrote a poem about this several, several years ago, but it is one I circle back to in a lot of my yoga classes and a lot of, just a lot of my work, my writing work and things like that in general. And the poem begins, take your list of flaws and burn it in the fires of your soul. You are perfection. And I, I really do believe that. And so, and so hear me out if you've borne with me this far. Perhaps you are also. 
I was recently at a workshop where we were discussing intuitive eating and intuitive movement and, and really in that sense, like an intuitive health. And we were talking about diet culture, which of course I vehemently detest all forms and varieties of, including the ones that get very yoga adjacent, that um, masquerade as some kind of wellness. And I found myself saying, well, you know, we, we break the cycle of dieting when we break the cycle of needing to control. And I thought, wow, that, that really is it. Like, I only need to control myself. Mm. And see, and maybe that's not, like, English feels so inadequate in this moment, but I don't mean, like, I lose all self-control and I, I don't know, behave like a raving... <laughs> um, like, hysterical person. I, I just mean... I only need to like uber control myself if I don't trust myself. If I'm operating from a place where I'm not a being to exist and evolve and be love. But if I'm a being that exists to be managed and manipulated and forced... And so untangling control from love was very key for me. And I think, I suspect, it's like one of those last weedy roots that's really, really challenging to dislodge. But I want to invite you to do so. I feel like I can't move forward in this podcast and maybe even in some like relationships in my life and things without people deeply understanding that I truly love myself. Like I adore who I am and I have so much grace and compassion for past little Abby and oh my gosh, early twenties Abby. <laughs> and I also am like I'm already completely infatuated with 40-year-old Abby and 35-year-old Abby and all of the many iterations of Abby, all the many iterations of love and perfection that I will get to experience. And, and when you truly live life this way, when you're operating from this place of quote-unquote radical self-love, I know it can sound a little hoaxy. I know it can sound a little nuts to sit down with me sometimes and, and hear how I speak towards myself or how I journal or the kind of curiosity and compassion I, I approach myself with. But I want you to know that it's genuine and it really is so foundational. Things change. Like you can't avoid it. Such incredible meaningful, intense things change when we, when we breathe and live from a place 
of inherent divineness, when we're in a place of deeply patient, passionate love for and of ourselves. I want to offer a couple of resources, a couple of books that have helped me. Um, and also some that are like on my to read list or that I've read excerpts from or, or heard the work of and have influenced me. So I already mentioned the delightful Adrian Marie Brown. Highly recommend their interview on the YouTube channel Style Like You. And that's so that's style like and then the letter U. Um, Adrienne Marie Brown's pleasure activism and emergent strategy are really powerful frameworks. So is Sonia Renee Taylor's The Body's Not an Apology. And if there's only one book that you ever read about reconnecting with your body, I recommend The Wisdom of Your Body by Dr. Hilary McBride. There's a couple other books also, but um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know I've put together a lot of kind of intense mindset-shifting thoughts. So if you'll allow me, I will leave you with the affirmation that I first wrote several years ago as we conclude our time together with kind of a lot of discombobulated thoughts that feel almost too impossible for words. Go ahead and take a couple deep breaths with me if you'd like. Take your list of flaws and burn it in the fires of your soul. You are perfection. In this moment, for this moment, perhaps you are not broken but healing, not imperfect but growing. The bud of the flower is nothing short of perfection, and it is perfection still when it erupts open. Perfect is not a place we arrive. Perhaps you are not incomplete but becoming not at your wit's end, but full of many beginnings. Take the embers of your heart. They are nothing short of perfection. And you are perfection still when it erupts open. This podcast is made entirely possible by Patreon Sacred supporters. If you also consider this work sacred and would like to support the efforts of not only this podcast, but all the other artistic projects that I, Abigail Jewell, have going on, please go to patreon.com slash A-B-I-G-A-I-L-J-E-W-E-L-L, Abigail Jewell. And you can also find the Patreon page by searching for A Stillness. Thanks.